Scripture reading for this morning's lesson will be from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put in in put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? (coughs) Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I was waiting for a song to be sung before I got up. That's where I stand up and adjust myself. Make sure the microphone's, yes, make sure the microphone's on. Make sure the microphone's on and kind of collect myself a little bit. But, (laughs) well, it's over the course of the week, You probably will figure out uh, some things that Aaron and Josh and Miss Jeannie have known for a long time, and that's sometimes I may say some things that might ought to kept silent. I don't know, but they come to my head, and thought occurred to me uh, something that I often said to students. I had opportunity to sub in high school classes and middle school classes and such. There would be an expectation that they had for the teacher that had been there with them. And I would simply remind them, I'm not Mr. Hall. I've been looking forward to this 
to this gospel meeting for quite a while. I had some expectations in my mind. Some of those got changed. And that's okay. Some of the expectations have been far exceeded with just the time that we spent so far today. I look forward to the time that we'll have over the course of the week, Lord willing, the time that we'll be able to study and consider what God's word tells us. This morning, I want to talk about a lesson entitled, Believing Without Seeing. And our good brother read to us from John chapter 20 and reminded us of the familiar instance when Thomas uh, is questioning. Uh, been told about the resurrection of Jesus and he doesn't believe. He tells them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, Jesus shows himself, and Thomas is there. Jesus, knowing all things, knowing what Thomas had said, tells Thomas, come here. Put your hands here. Reach your finger here. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. He goes on after Thomas makes his proclamation, my Lord and my God, that Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. As you reflect upon this part of the Bible, I think it's almost impossible for us not to see ourselves in that passage of Scripture. When we hear Jesus speak of those who have not seen and yet believed, that's us. The fact is that anyone who is really a Christian today is someone who has not seen and yet believed. So what that tells us is that Jesus, in all his wisdom and knowledge, is foretelling of a period of time when people who have not seen him who were not able to reach their hand out, to reach their finger out, and yet believe and proclaim, like Thomas, my Lord and my God. I appreciate very much uh, the, the song leaders' uh, conversations back and forth between myself and the elders, uh, giving some insight into lessons that will be presented all with a goal to kind of tie some things together. And I appreciate our brother this morning leading the song, We Saw Thee Not. Have you, did you think about what you're saying? Number 167, I believe it is in, our, in the hymn book. We saw thee not. We didn't see when you were born. There were people that did. We didn't. We, saw, we didn't see you when you were hanging on the cross, lifted up on high. Some people did. We didn't. 
We didn't see you in that upper room. We were not amongst these disciples here. We were not eight days later come in and Jesus is there and having not seen you. Yet we believe. And so if we really do believe in Jesus, understand you're who he's talking about there in John chapter 20 in verse 29. Now, as you think about this idea of seeing without believing, I want you to understand and remember that there, most of the early Christians also experienced the same thing. They did not see, but believe. Acts chapter 2, a familiar passage to us. In Acts chapter 2, there on the day of Pentecost, let me read verse 36 and verse 37. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I understand that there may be some there in that crowd on the day of Pentecost that were still there, or that they were there previous and saw Jesus at some point in time. But even though they may have seen Jesus before his resurrection, maybe they had seen miracles and such taking place on Pentecost, I want you to think about the aspect that they believed what they couldn't see. Jesus was not standing there with them on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't as Peter stood up with the rest of the apostles and then they kind of parted themselves and said, Yep, here he is. This is Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't see him. When they believed. Acts chapter 2. Or excuse me, Acts chapter 3. Continuing on, verse 12 in Acts chapter 3. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the apostle, to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Now, notice chapter 4 and verse 4. In this same instance, in this, uh, this event that's taking place, in chapter 4 and verse 4, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Here is something that they had seen take place. They saw the miracles of, of Peter. Peter begins and tells them, hey, it's not because of anything we're doing, we've done. This is all being done by Jesus Christ. And they believed without ever seeing Jesus. We go on, on, on further into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans also believed without seeing. Notice verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Verse 12, and when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Peter, uh, Philip comes in, he preaches in the city of Samaria. They believe and they did so without seeing. Jesus was not standing there in Samaria. Philip didn't say, let me introduce you to. 1 Peter chapter 1. Christians in the area of Asia believed without seeing. This was also referenced in uh, one of the uh, songs that we sang this morning. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and, inexpressible and full of glory. Yeah, this is what happens. I get looking at my notes and slides are somewhere else. We'll go back and I'll just briefly remind you of the Ethiopian eunuch. So we've got Philip in Samaria. Then Philip is called from there and you know the story. He runs up and catches up with the Ethiopian eunuch. He's traveling from Jerusalem. What does he do? He talks to him and talks, starts with the book of Isaiah that uh, the uh, eunuch was reading. And he preaches to him Jesus. And the eunuch asks about water and what's hindering him from being baptized. Obviously, the eunuch believed in Jesus. But he wasn't there with Philip. Philip gave him these things. Friends, these are just a few of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in the first century who became Christians by believing in Jesus Christ without seeing. And as you think about their faith, remember it's not an abstract, it's not an academic, it's not a detached faith. It is a faith that is so strong. It is a faith that is so deep that they suffered and died. They sacrificed themselves for it. Now you might be wondering, why mention these things that we're familiar with? Obviously, these people believe they become Christians. They were baptized. Why talk about this? Well, one of the reasons that I mention all this is because I want to say something about the atheistic accusation that all faith is foolish. All faith is silly. All faith is naive. Right across a quote from an individual, a newspaper commentator. He says this, Commitment to Jesus Christ, I am told, happens in one giant leap from the edge of evidence over a vast chasm of logic into the safety and comfort of faith. For whatever reason, seen in a classic movie with Harrison Ford, a nice little chapeau on his head, and he's standing on the edge of a cliff, and he says, i got to take a leap of faith, and we see him just kind of do, and then the pan, camera pans, and we see this nice little walkway go across. But this is the idea of many. That they present faith in Jesus as a, as a blind faith. They compare it to a leap in the dark. Now what we need to realize is that this portrayal of faith is not in Christ. In, this portrayal of faith in Christ is not what the Bible teaches. This idea that it's an irrational leap in the dark. That's not the kind of faith that we see within the scriptures. And it's a misrepresentation of real Christians. 
Now, before I go on and say more about faith in Jesus, I want to talk about, for just a second, the nature of faith. This is where we can turn to a very familiar passage, Hebrews chapter 11. Often been described as the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The New King James puts it this way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I've got a couple other translations on the board. The New International Version. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. ESV. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What do we want to notice is about faith is that it's an assurance. It's a conviction. It's not an illogical leap in the dark. It's not an irrational thing. It is an assurance. It is a conviction about things that we haven't seen. And that assurance may involve things from the past. What we read about and understand these things all took place. We talked about in our Bible class this morning the things happening in the days of Habakkuk. Or go back to the previous days and the Israelites, or go back to the judges, go back to, to Moses, go back to Abraham, go back to Noah. Well, the assurance also may involve things in the present. What's going on? We have faith in these things. It may involve things in the future. But as we think about the conviction, as we think about the assurance that is faith, realize that everyone obviously has a faith in something because everyone operates on the basis of trust in things that they haven't seen. That's the way our judicial system operates. We've got a jury of 12 people sitting on a panel over there. They're being told about some event, some, some instance that, that occurred. And as far as I am aware, the people sitting in the jury, they were not eyewitnesses. They didn't see the thing take place. The jury reaches a conclusion. They draw a faith based upon evidence and testimony. And we realize that it is possible for valid testimony to justify conclusions about guilt, and that may send someone to jail. It may send them to uh, the, uh, an execution. All of this is based upon the evidence of testimony. I want to suggest to you that even the rankest atheists believe many things that they've never seen. My wife and I had the opportunity on our travel over uh, just take a little pit stop in Fort Smith, Arkansas. While we were there, we drove downtown next to the river, saw the, uh, the layout of old Fort Smith. I'm here to tell you, I did not live during the period of time in which that fort was built and soldiers were marching in and out of those gates. But I believe that this is the wall that they had to go through. They were outside the wall. They had to walk around the gates to go in. 
there is a nice big white platform. I say nice big white. It's, it's a white platform. Nice might not be the way to describe it. It's called the hanging gallows. Where people used the judicial system, brought in murderers and rapists, and took them through a judicial system. They gave them testimony and evidence, and if they were convicted of that, they were hung. Now, my wife had the observant eye to walk underneath that, and people died here. Now, again, for our purposes, realize my wife did not live during the time when those things were taking place. But she could see it. She could believe it. I want to suggest to you that, that even atheists believe in things. They believe that Abraham Lincoln was a president of the United States. They believe that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. They would not dispute that. They have faith in those things. Many atheists, I would suggest to you, have faith in things going on in the world today. Current events taking place. I would suggest to you that, that I, I don't know that you could find an atheist that would look and say, I don't believe there's uh, some, some conflict going on over in Ukraine on between uh, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, well, they may look and go, well, they've seen it on TV. Well, let me just tell you, there's some things that could be rigged. That all could be made up and if you don't believe that's taking place go go watch a star wars movie i, I, I commented to a buddy of mine and the thing that fascinates me is all these things that we see these alien planets supposedly uh, we're for entertainment purposes we we see these things and they're all alien planets and i look and i go that's somewhere on the earth and and if, if we're talking about Lord of the Rings and, uh, and uh, the hobbits and, and where they lived and such, you can go and visit those places because, but they're made out to be something else, and we understand. But atheists believe in current event things. They believe in distant places. This is where, in my mind, as we're going through and kind of running through the, the, the sermon this morning, I think about different places. Where am I going to suggest? I you know, ask the audience... How many of you have been to Paris, France? You know, and maybe many of you have. And so I go, well, maybe I ought not ask that. And so, for whatever reason, the South Pole came up in my head. Okay, well, I'll ask him. He goes, the odds are lower that one of you have been to the South Pole. How many of you have been to the South Pole? Anybody? I haven't been. Do you believe there's a South Pole? Now, I want you to think, do you think that there are atheists that believe there is a South Pole but have never been there? We could talk about things in our own nation. I've never been to Maine. I believe Maine's there. I've never been to California. I believe it's there. We understand that we have faith in these things even though we have never seen them. Let me give you one other thing to think about. Do you have faith in the skill of other people? I know for a fact that my wife has faith in my driving abilities. 
She believes that I know how to drive an automobile. Have you ever gotten on the plane and go, I wonder if I should believe that this airline pilot knows what he's doing? How about a surgeon? Do you go into a, a doctor's office? Do you, do you make preparations and go through this thing and go, oh, you know, I really wonder if I should believe that this surgeon knows what he's doing. You know, we have faith in people's skill. We believe that the airline pilot can get us from point A to point B, that he knows what he's doing. Now, how is it that we know all of these things about distant places, about people's skills, about events and historical things going on? It's all based on the evidence of testimony. Now, for a doctor, for a surgeon, it might be a little sheet of paper that's hanging in, frame, uh, in a frame hanging on a wall. For an airline pilot, it might be something that's a, a signia on his, on his jacket. He may have a nice little card that he can pull out and show, here's his certification for flying this type of, of aircraft. I mentioned the idea we stopped at Fort Smith. My wife and I sat down and watched a little 14-minute film. Heard a narrator talk about all the things. That's, that's testimony. Somebody had done some research, somebody had gone through some archives and found out when all these things took place and put the dates down, and it's based upon the testimony of someone else who was telling us. So faith is a common characteristic of men and women. And it's the mere fact that someone believes something doesn't automatically mean that that individual is gullible or, or naive or, or ignorant. It's the validity of evidence that determines whether you're being had, whether you're gullible. It's not the mere fact that someone has faith. I don't have, I don't have this all uh, finalized in my head, but and I'll, I'll see if I can illustrate this a little bit. You know, the, well, the old childhood story of the boy who cried wolf might be the best way to illustrate that. I was thinking of trying to come up with some little scenario between Josiah and myself, and, and I come up and I tell him this, and I've got this in my pocket, and, and, uh, and then I, he believes me because he's heard me say other things, and no, it's not, I'm just messing with you. We continue on to things. After a period of time, the credibility of the testimony is going to diminish, and little Josiah is going to start going, I don't know if I believe Uncle Jeff when he tells me this. That, That's the story of the little boy who cried wolf. And so it's not the fact that Josiah has a faith that he believes something that an adult tells him. That's not what makes him gullible. It's the evidence. It's the testimony. And what that means is that the fact that Christians have faith in the Bible, the fact that Christians have faith in Jesus doesn't mean that they're superstitious. It doesn't mean that we're gullible. It doesn't mean that we're ignorant unless there's not valid evidence supporting our faith. Now, if we wanted to do our diligence with uh, the airline pilot, and I see your credentials, sir. And he pulls them out. 
And then we scrutinize that and we go and figure out, is this really a flight school? Has he really logged this number of hours? Things of that nature. We can, we can scrutinize the evidence, the testimony. If anyone ever asks you how people today can believe in Jesus without ever seeing them, I want you to tell them the same way that many people today believe many things based on the evidence of testimony. The basis of the faith of, faith of most first century Christians illustrates this for us. The evidence of testimony. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus has God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, this is the apostles speaking, and they are saying, we all saw Jesus. We saw him hanging the cross. We saw him after he was raised from the dead. One of the reasons that all of these Christians believe without seeing is because of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and others. Acts chapter 3, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What was the testimony that was given? That same Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, God is raised up. Acts chapter 3 and verse 15. And killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are all witnesses. These are things that are being told. This is eyewitness testimony from individuals telling these people, here is a fact about Jesus. We know because we saw it. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Verse 35 of Acts chapter 8. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, though those who preach the gospel to you, by, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desired to look into. Notice what Peter says in his second letter. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we were made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when we heard this voice we came that which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
this unimpeachable testimony from men who had no reason to lie about it, nothing that they could gain. They basically, they told exactly what they saw. And they were willing to die for it. They, when they were beaten and told, don't preach about Jesus, what they do? They counted joy and said, that's what we're going to continue to do. And if you need to kill us, then kill us. We're going to continue on preaching about Jesus because we know this to be fact. And the kind of evidence that we have today is the same testimony. It's preserved and it's written in a written form in the completed Bible. And as you think about the strength of that testimony, I want you to think about how many tests it has passed. I was doing a little more reading about Habakkuk not long ago, and I was reminded of the Dead Sea Scrolls, 1947. Individuals find these jars in a cave pull them out. Habakkuk is one that is, if I'm remembering correctly what I read, almost complete there. A commentary about it written as well. Archaeological things that are found. The scientific evidence that is always amassing. It's there and it's available. And this is after there are thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of people that are trying their best to discredit and undermine these very words. And yet over and over and over, they're proven to be true. These men had nothing to gain. These apostles had everything to lose by lying. And they willingly died because what they said. Let me read you some of the testimony of an apostle who died so that we and others could hear that same testimony. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, beginning at verse 13. Now, don't just listen to this as something that you've read and heard before. Listen to this with the ears of, here is someone who was there. as giving a testimony. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. That was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. 
And we can continue reading here. And we'll drop down to verse 28. John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was a preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen the and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled, that one of his bones should be broken. And again, another scripture says that he should look on him whom they pierced. What's John doing? John's telling you what he saw. What he knew was going on. What was taking place. And he wrote these things down for a testimony to us. We won't take the time to read, but go back and look at the entire chapter of John, chapter, uh, John 20. And look at it perhaps with the idea of I'm sitting in a jury box. And I'm hearing a witness tell of what they saw. Think about it from that aspect. As you think about those words, reflect upon these things that have come down to us through centuries. I know that I'm talking to people who really believe them. People who can really sing, we saw thee not. But we believe. We saw thee not, but we believe. And again, the main reason that I said all this is to remind you, faith is not blind. Faith is not irrational. Faith in Jesus Christ is not unreasonable. Faith in Jesus Christ is a rational thing. We read the testimony. We weigh the evidence. And we draw the conclusion. It's rational. It's valid. It's not just a leap past logic into darkness. But it's a willingness to acknowledge the truth that millions upon millions of men and women have lived and died for. And if you have that kind of faith, if you have a faith to that degree that you can be saved by it, if you'll repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus Christ before this audience, and submit yourself to the waters of baptism, 
The evidence is all there. What are you going to do with it? There may be those this morning that need to render obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, like the people on the day of Pentecost, you, like the Ethiopian eunuch, you, like those in Samaria, have heard the truth about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Will you act upon it? We'll touch a little more on that further on in some of our lessons as we go through the week. There are those here this morning that need to render obedience, want to confess their faith in Christ Jesus. I'm confident. I have faith. All things are ready. How can we assist you? If you need to make public confession of wrong in your life, now's an appropriate time as well. Let us assist you as we stand to sing to encourage you.